Welcome to a special edition of Open Spaces from Wyoming Public Radio News. I'm Caroline Ballard. Today we bring you a conversation about women in the Wyoming legislature and why there are so few of them. This panel was recorded live earlier this year at a Leap into Leadership conference in conjunction with Leadership Wyoming Class of 2016. Coming up, we'll hear about some of the barriers that women face when they want to run for office. Financially, the burden of a mom coming to the legislature is probably going to affect the family more than a dad. We'll hear why it's important to have women in the legislature and how we can better encourage them to run for office. And the button said, don't call me honey, lady, baby, or girl. Call me senator. (laughs) Support for Open Spaces podcast comes from the Hobbs School of Environment and Natural Resources at the University of Wyoming uwyo.edu slash h-a-u-b. Welcome to a special edition of Open Spaces from Wyoming Public Radio News. The following conversation on women in the Wyoming legislature was recorded live at the Little America Hotel in Cheyenne. Good evening and welcome. I'm Caroline Ballard, Morning Edition host and reporter at Wyoming Public Radio. And it's my pleasure to be here and my pleasure to introduce our panelists for the evening. First off, all the way to the right over there, we have Bernadine Kraft, a a Democrat in the Wyoming Senate, the Senate Minority Whip, and the only woman in our state Senate. Ruth Ann Petroff will be joining us. She is on her way. Uh, She is a Republican representative in the Wyoming House of Representatives. Next, we have Dr. Jim King, a political scientist and professor at the University of Wyoming. Then we have Joanne Barron, who covered the state legislature during her 45 years as a journalist for the Casper Star Tribune. And lastly, Marguerite Herman is a lobbyist for the League of Women Voters. Thank you to all of our panelists, and thank you all so much for being here tonight. I'm looking forward to a great conversation. I want to start off a little bit by kind of defining this problem. Wyoming now ranks 50th, last place in the nation as far as its percentage of women in the legislature. Nationwide, women make up 24.5% of state legislators, but here in Wyoming, just 13% of our legislature is made up of women. In the early 90s, Wyoming ranked 11th in the U.S. for its share of women. Around that time, many states, including Wyoming, switched from multi-member district voting to single-member districts, and that created a bit of a shift. And I kind of want to get it started off hearing a little bit about what happened there and how that impacted the representation of women in our state legislature. And I think Dr. King would be a great person to start us off. First of all, I'd like to thank uh, Wyoming Public Media for organizing the event and uh, for inviting me to be part of it. Uh, research into election of women to set legislatures uh, many, many years ago identified one particular structural problem, and that is the difference between single-member districts and multi-member districts. Uh, Several of us remember back, Wyoming used to have what are called multi-member districts, and that is each county was defined as a legislative district, and the number of representatives and senators to be elected uh, varied by the population from nine down to one representative, for example. And research generally showed that when given an opportunity to vote for more than one individual, 
you know, that as a person going into the voting booth, that person could vote for three different people for state legislature, for the state House of Representatives, or four or nine in the case of uh, Laramie County near the end of this time. These people would be more likely to, you know, on the second, third, fourth, whatever position, vote for someone a little bit different. Vote for someone who would bring a different perspective or maybe even vote for someone of the other political party so that you found a little bit more diversity in uh, state legislatures. And in particular, this seemed to be a benefit for women who were candidates going back to a time when public opinion was not overly supportive. It's not that long ago that public opinion polls would show when asked, you know, do you agree or disagree with a question like men should be involved in politics, that there was still a substantial portion of the population that would believe that. Multi-member districts gave people a chance to expand and opt for uh, other types of people. When you go to a single-member district system, uh, as Wyoming now has, uh, you have one choice. And most voters are going to go in and pick that one person who they think is going to best represent them. The other alternative may look good, but I can't go down and vote twice. I can only vote once. And so in this situation, generally the research showed that women won seats in the legislature less frequently. Uh, Caroline mentioned uh, Wyoming's change. In 1991, as a result of a uh, federal district court lawsuit, that challenged the population inequities by staying with the multi-member, the county-member districts. Niobrara County over on the Eastern Plains, the smallest of the counties, would get one, as would several other counties, but the population differences were so great, the courts decided that was in violation of the one-person, one-vote standard that the U.S. Supreme Court had handed down 25 years before, and that in apportioning the legislature, you had to take uh, make the primary concern population equity. And in order to achieve that, the legislature decided that single-member districts was going to be the only way to do that. And it was shortly after that that we began noticing the proportion of the legislature that were female declined pretty sharply through the 1990s and declined where representation of similar states in the region did not, of women did not change in those states that did not change their representative systems. And so this is one of the things we can attribute to perhaps the change in representation is simply the electoral system that Wyoming must use by court order. And as I understand it, that also changed a little bit how elections go and, and how campaigns are run. And Bernadine, I think you can speak a little bit to sort of the aggression in a one-on-one in -on -one match and, and what that means. Well, I can. Of course, when, as you noted, when we went from multi-member to single member, it also changed party split very significantly. So when you have a one-on-one, -on -one, which is what I have had, I will tell you probably the thing that frightened me the most about seeking elected office was running, quote, quote, against someone. And of course, we never say we're running against someone. We say, I am running for this office, and these are my issues, and this person is running for the same office, and these are his issues. I've been really fortunate, because in all my years, I've only had two contested races. Both of them were from gentlemen who really didn't differ much from me on the issues. And so when you couldn't really point out it, 
a difference issue-wise, it did kind of feel like I was running against somebody. And I hated that because I, by my nature, am really collegial. I don't like confrontation. I get almost sick to my stomach if I think somebody's mad at me. Um, now, I've been able to overcome that quite a lot lately. <laughs> So, but, but it is something, because I remember that was one of the first questions I asked when I was running about, well, are they going to be mean, and is it going to be a dirty campaign, and are we going to have to go one-on-one, -on -one? and what if I lose? And I was lucky. Like I say, I've only had two contested uh, races, and they were both very, very cordial. But I don't know that that's always the case, and that's a fear. In addition to that sort of fear of, of that kind of head-on, mm -hmm. you know, one-on-one -on -one kind of campaign. What are some other barriers women in particular might face in, in mounting a campaign? I think there are a number of barriers. And of course, the number one thing that I say, and I say it over and over, and I'm glad to find there's actually a little bit of research um, to back me up. Women are much less likely to run for office unless somebody asks them to do it. They really are, and, and that was absolutely me. I was, while I had been a lobbyist and I was very political, I was never a quote, quote, political animal. I never saw myself seeking an elected office, ever. So I was asked, and my mentor is here today, the woman who asked me multiple times over a period of about four months, and that was back in the old days when you couldn't file electronically, so she had to drive my application from Rock Springs to Cheyenne to make sure it got here on time. So that's number one, is, is we're not asked. And so then there's that barrier of can I do it, should I do it, do, do people want me to do it? But then there are the barriers of right now in the entire legislative body, there is only one woman that has children at home. And she happens to live in Cheyenne. Uh, that's really hard to, to shut down your family and to say, see you kids, I'll be back in a couple of months. It's very difficult to, sh to shut down your life, uh, to shut down your job. I'm fortunate that I have a job that, that really support my work here, but that's very difficult also to, to kind of compartmentalize like that and come down here, which is a, a huge, huge issue for, for many, many women who would like to run. And I've heard this from women that I've talked to. Well, maybe when the kids are a little bit older. Well, maybe, and, and it, it never really crosses their minds that, that possibly they could, they could figure out a way to, to manage those household responsibilities and the job responsibilities and being here, because it's huge. It is really huge. Going a little deeper into some of these hardships, uh, Marguerite, I know pay is something that, that you've talked about before. How does that hinder someone from, from running for the legislature? This affects diversity of all kinds for men and women. Um, you'll find that the legislature is um, mostly populated with people who can afford, as uh, Senator mentioned, to leave a job for two months, so you get people who are self-employed, you get lawyers, real estate agents, people who are retired. We have a lot of retired people in the legislature. So, so you have to be able to do to leave a job and have it sustained out there while you're while you're gone. 
and then and then sometimes your jobs will support you like I know school districts will um, support teachers while they're gone get substitute teachers and cover for them and uh, so you have to either forego two months of pay now there's legislative pay but it barely covers and as a matter of fact they're per diem payments supposed to cover travel lodging etc for all the traveling they do in the interim I don't know if you know but they travel to the far-flung corners of the state to meet and they actually have to spend money out of pocket so it has to be someone who can afford to leave a job, um, survive on less money, and actually cost the money to do that. So that is just a real diversity question, but it seems to hit women harder than, than men. It's an issue that if they were paid more, if legislators got more pay, it may come within the, um, the possibility for more women to, uh, to serve. I will say when the joint corporations came back with a recommendation for higher pay, that uh, conversation was stopped pretty quickly. So for the time being, I think, you know, what we have is the status quo, and that'll continue. Joanne Barron, you observed the legislature for 45 years. Can you recall any instances of, of women being discriminated against either while campaigning or while actually participating in the legislature? Uh, well, there was a situation. It was in uh, the mid-'80s, and, and incidentally, that I think uh, that session showed was the highest representation of women. There were 18 in the House and two in the Senate. And in the House, more than half of the committee chairs were headed, uh, occupied by women. But in the middle of the session, two of those women were kind of ousted from their chairmanship. And it was very embarrassing for them. And I'd never seen any woman or man before subject to that treatment. I thought no one would say, well, it's because there were women, but I, I certainly thought it was very suspicious. And I know it was because they weren't voting and handling bills the way the leadership wanted them to. I was told subsequently, after I made that statement, that uh, there was a man once <laughs> <laughs> way back in the 70s, and he lost his chairmanship. But usually they don't handle it that way. They may change heads in the next session, but it's not something public like that. And uh, anyway, I thought it was very objectionable. Kind of on the other side of that coin, either uh, Representative Petroff or mm -hmm. uh, Senator Kraft, can, you, can either of you speak to instances of women supporting each other or um, sort of holding each other up while in the legislature? I can tell you that the women's restroom has been a, a place of comfort for me on occasion when, uh, <laughs> when uh, I've been in tears over a bill. Um, but, you know, definitely the Wyoming Women's Legislative Caucus, I mean, which was in place before I got to the legislature, but that has been, you know, just the, the mentorship of the women in there and the, the get-together events that we have where you can just talk about everything that you're, that you're going through in the legislature. I mean, that has been, you know, an enormous learning experience and, um, you know, has, has helped me to navigate through some of the less technical aspects of the legislature. When I first came, I served three terms in the House, and I spent a lot of time in the bathroom, too, 
because it's, it's really unprofessional to cry on the floor. We don't want to do that. But there were several occasions where, and it was never that I, that, that I was losing a bill. It was an issue that was really impactful to me. Like I remember the first time I cried was I had a piece of legislation dealing with animal cruelty. And it was like I could, almost couldn't tolerate the things I was hearing. And I went off the floor, went into the bathroom, and immediately five other women were in there, you know, and they were all there. Nobody thinks about party, nobody, I, and those were women who didn't all vote for my bill, <laughs> but, but that was okay, you know, because it was their, okay, we're not sure we like your bill, Bernie, but, but we're here for you, and that's really important. Um, I obviously don't have that in the Senate, but, um, <laughs> but I, will, I will tell you on kind of the flip side of that, I've been interviewed a lot by people who I think want me to say, oh yes, I'm excluded and ostracized in the Senate, and it is so not true. My 29 colleagues uh, could not be more supportive, and I'll tell you just one little anecdote that kind of, kind of spelled it all out for me, was right after I passed my first bill off general file in the Senate, the very next day one of the more senior members of the Senate came in and he had this old button, and he said, I collect old campaign buttons, and I can't even remember what woman's button this was, but I want you to have it. And the button said, don't call me honey, lady, baby, or girl. Call me senator. <laughs> <laughs> I still have that button. <laughs> When we return, I'll ask our panelists about what can be done to increase women in the legislature. You're listening to a special edition of Open Spaces on Wyoming Public Radio. I'm Caroline Ballard. We now return to our panel on women in the Wyoming legislature. Colorado, just to the south of here in Wyoming, ranks number one in the nation for its representation of women in its legislature. 42% of its state legislature is made up of women. What is going on there that makes it so different from here? Uh, Dr. Jim King, you want to take this one? One of the things that uh, we know rep affects representation has been mentioned here is, you know, the career opportunities, you know, the, the cost of going into public service. Uh, is often high and is a barrier. Quite frankly, if you look at Colorado in the front range, the very, very diversified economy provides a lot of career opportunities for women to advance in a career that would then get them to a position in their career where they can take time out for legislative service. The issues of Wyoming's economy and the, the need for diversification uh, has been part of the, the discussion, what it is now, 25 years, I think it is now that I've lived here. Uh, so, I mean, that is always an issue, but that is also something that, that comes back into the opportunities that people can have for legislative service. Careers in law, uh, in uh, business where you can move high enough within a uh, company that they will allow you the time to go off and serve in the legislature during the session or to have your own business and uh, have other people who can run your business for you while you're in the legislature. Uh, again, the, the more diverse economy gives those types of opportunities that are missing, I think, in several Wyoming communities. What can be done on the community end to, to better help 
support women who want to run for these kinds of positions? Uh, maybe Marguerite, when I answer this one. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this a lot. And also, I want to make, mention parenthetically, the lawsuit about the multi-member districts that was the League of Women Voters. We took that to the U.S. Supreme Court. So we get the creditor blame, however you want to uh, discuss that. But, you know, um, I think uh, what maybe gives women the oomph to run for the legislature is service on a local level. And um, I really would encourage, and then also they can stay home and be with their families when they're young. Um, it may be a little bit unfair that that men can afford to leave their families and women cannot, but let's face it, in most situations, they're in the nurturing role. And there are a lot of ways that women can start in public service, local boards, commissions, all kinds of situations. And, and that's what I think on a community level is giving women or women taking the opportunities that are there to serve while it is possible, they're not, they, they're not away for two months at a time, et cetera. And then they, I think they build up confidence, they build up experience, and maybe they don't want to come to Wyoming legislature and do statewide legislation, but they also may develop a real interest in it, taste for it, and also the expertise, so that when they do have to run head-to-head -head in a single-member district, um, they've got that experience, that competence, they've got a track record, they can say, I've been on the school board, county commission, whatever it is, and I, and I think um, really that's the way if we want to talk about you know, person grooming herself for higher service. To leap right into the legislature is probably very intimidating, especially if you're running against an incumbent male. And, you know, they've got all the information at their, at their fingertips, and so it's going to be difficult and it's going to be hard to sell yourself to a, voters who may not have a lot of imagination and they can't imagine a woman in the spot. And so I think on a community level, what we can all do, and the league needs to do this as much as anybody, is recognize when opportunities come up and go and, and, and get young women, uh, just you know, mention to them, hey, there's a spot on the school board. Your kids are in the schools. Why don't you run? So by the time maybe their children are older, they are ready to, to leap into leadership, so to use a phrase that we've all heard. What about legislatively on the legislature's end or maybe within political parties, uh, Ruth Ann or Bernadine? Do you want to start? No, sure. I'll, I'll back clean up. <laughs> Yeah, so, and so I've been thinking um, a lot about this since we, since we started this discussion too, and I think that, um, you know, the number, the number one reason Pepperdine University did a study about why women run for state legislatures, and the number one reason was because somebody asked them to do it. And so Marguerite is, is right on. We need to be recruiting people to run for these offices. That was certainly true for me. Clarine Law, um, who was one of my, someone I very much looked up to in my community, when she was uh, decided not to run anymore, she asked me to run for her it was something I never thought I could do or was qualified to do or you know it was just it, it, it was never in my world and and at the time I couldn't do it but when the seat opened up again a few years later I had prepared myself and learned a lot and was able to run but um, you know being able to develop women in that way and I think that maybe that's something that the Wyoming Women's Foundation could do or you know I, I don't know who takes it on but but a group of mentors in each community that is actively working to recruit people to be interested in these offices and 
Um, and I'm also going to go a little bit off the topic of the question before I pass, pass it off to Bernie and, and say that, you know, I know you talked about the multi-member districts in the past, but the truth is, you know, our problem of not having women in office is not having women run for office. Last year for statewide offices, we had, um, for 87 races, we had 137 men run and we had 34 women run. We had almost the same success rate for men and women, but um, we just didn't have enough women running for office. And I believe that Leadership Wyoming had had done you know, a, a study similar that was more than just one year of elections that actually determined that women had a better than 50% chance of winning the elections in which they ran. And so I think recruitment is, without a doubt, recruitment and support is the main issue. Right, and I just, I couldn't agree more. Um, as, as I said, women really have to be asked, at least I did. And uh, I'm really proud to hold the Senate seat that my mentor held. It's Senator Raylene Job, and she's in the audience. And um, I'm just really happy that she not only asked, but asked and asked and asked and asked and asked. Mm -hmm. That I really am. And, and I think we do need to broaden our perspectives. And that's something that Marguerite spoke to, is, is looking at people who are out there. I was not political. I had held a national presidency in my professional association, which was the counseling association. So I'd been involved in those kinds of things, but I never done anything political. So my first race was for the, for the state legislature. Um, and I, I don't think I could have done it if I hadn't known I had that support. And then once I got down there, I had support. I had support of all those women who, like I say, might not always vote with me, but were always there and always understanding me. So I just can't say enough about how critical that is. And I think if we can broaden our horizons, because Ray Lynch sure did. You know, she wasn't just looking down, let's see who's on the party roll or who's been on the city council. Um, there's so much talent out there. And one of the things that I'm excited about, I've always been just a huge fan of Leap Into Leadership and um, have really encouraged tonight um, my two young interns from, from uh, Western Wyoming Community College are going to join us for dinner. And I, I'm so excited for them to see this group of women because they, they're so passionate about it and that's wonderful but you know there's a lot of women out there that can't come to Cheyenne so what we've been doing we've been doing some regional kinds of trainings we did one in Rock Springs this last year and it was a completely different group of people and that was wonderful because I think the broader net we can cast and the more mentoring and the more encouraging and the more recruiting we can do the better off we're going to be if we're talking about recruitment and getting a little bit more specific, who are some of those women that can be identified that should run? Me? Anyone, <laughs> anyone who wants to take the question? Um, I think you can all look in your communities. I think you can look in your communities and people are just going to bubble right up. But you do have to look and then you do have to encourage. When people were first talking to me about Leap Into Leadership, one woman said, well, I'm kind of interested in being the president of the women's club. Well, great, wonderful. That's a, that's a wonderful place to start. But then encouraging those people. So I, I really think, uh, and you're all here because you're interested in it. And I do think if you go out and look all over that community, you will, you will absolutely find people. Looking at some more things that can be done, what about increasing legislator pay? I know we identified that as one of the main barriers facing people. 
uh, Marguerite, maybe, or, or Bernadine. I, well, I see I, both I, of you kind of gunning in front of me. I was, I, I was there during the management council. They're the, the, the sort of the head honchos of the legislature and, uh, and that the, the cost study, the legislative pay study, which again is interesting. It looks at all, all kinds of pay of elected officials from legislator on up. And uh, the case, he made, there was a great case to increase legis legislator pay, but basically we're told we have no money, no. Whether it should happen, of course, is another question. Bernadine? And, and I was going to kind of echo that. Yeah, we're woefully underpaid. I lose money being down here. So it, it really is a, a huge uh, disadvantage. That, that's very, very true. And if we're going to encourage younger people uh, to run, we, we really have to look at compensation that makes it worth their while, but this is absolutely not the time to do it. I couldn't support it. While I am fighting tooth and claw for funding for local governments to get money back in for education, for early childhood, for family literacy, I mean, the, the list goes on and on and on. And then I'm going to say, oh, and by the way, we'd like a raise. Uh, and of course, you can't give yourself a raise. You can't, be, it would have to be down the road. But that, that would not fly now, not when, not when we're fighting so so very hard for programs that to me are so essential to the state of Wyoming. And the low pay, of course, disproportionately affects women because we make what? Is it 69 cents Six, on the dollar? Yeah. So, uh, so proportionally it affects us much more in our ability to be able to serve. And, um, and you know, to echo what Bernadine just said, the only way I think it could happen is if there were a a referendum on the ballot. Right. I don't think it will ever come through the legislature. No, no. So the pay is one thing, but then um, benefits are another. So right. for many people, leaving work for two months at a time is going to disqualify them for health insurance. And since we can't even buy into the state health insurance plan, that you know that's going to increasingly become difficult. And minority floor leader uh, Mary Throne asked me to also bring up the child care issue, which again, disproportionately affects women. And I know you, you discussed this at some point, but, um, but again, financially, um, the burden of a mom coming to the legislature is probably going to affect the family more than a dad. Right. Dr. King? Yeah, uh, one possibility for a uh, structural change is to change the calendar of the legislature. Our representatives and senators come in and you know, they've got their 20 days or they've got their 40 days and it's all in a block. Uh, there are other states whose legislatures don't meet totally many more days than that, but they basically make it a Tuesday-Thursday operation where people could, depending upon their location, practice their trade, whether it's part of a medical profession, whether it's a real estate agent, whether it's a lawyer, whatever. Most of Monday, travel to the legislature. Again, if you're if you're coming from Jackson to Cheyenne, obviously that doesn't work, but uh, some of the other com uh, communities are closer. Uh, you could go home and leave it th at noon on Thursday, and you have Friday to practice your profession, which would mitigate some of the financial costs that you don't have to give it up totally for two months. Now, you, you spread this out instead of during a current budget session, instead of over four weeks, you're spreading it out over six weeks, perhaps, something like that. So there is a time cost that's a little different, but that would at least give opportunities for people to practice a profession, not give it up entirely, and still be engaged in legislative service. 
Well, and, and if I could just weigh in on that, I think that's a fascinating idea, but I think if we were going to do that, we would have to change the months we meet, too. Um, I will tell you that my greatest fears in the legislature have not been on the floor of the House or the floor of the Senate. They have been on I-80. Yeah. I, I, would, I would agree, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm the, the, the travel in the winter, very frequently, I mean, I've wanted to go home and I couldn't. Or, uh, or you get home and you're afraid you'll get snowed in and you can't get back. Um, and we've always wondered why we meet during the two most vile months of the year weather-wise. Um, so that's, that's a question we ask. I, I think it'd be fun to revamp the whole system. Coming up, we'll talk about what revamping the system might look like right here on Wyoming Public Radio. Welcome back to a special edition of Open Spaces on Wyoming Public Radio. I'm Caroline Ballard. We're talking about women in Wyoming's legislature at a live panel earlier this year. We've been talking some about the hardships and some about possible solutions. I would like to hear from each one of you, what difference and impact does having women in the legislature make? How do you see that? Uh, maybe we can start with Bernadine and just come down the line. Well, for me, it's um, right now it's me, it's Bernie and the boys over on the Senate side. <laughs> And, and as I mentioned, in fact, when Carolyn and I were talking earlier, she said, do you notice you're the only woman? And the, the thing is, I don't. I've, I've been made to feel so welcome and I have felt so accepted that I really haven't noticed. That being said, I think sometimes we bring, uh, women bring a different voice. We may be discussing the same issues. I always hate it when somebody says, well, you know, this is a, this is a child care issue or this is an education issue you, or this is domestic violence, sexual assault, you know, one of those women's issues. And that's not true. That really isn't true. Um, I have run a number of domestic violence sexual assault bills that have been successful with a male sponsor. When, it was when I was in the House and Senator Hastert was in the Senate. And we did a lot of work in that area together. And, and I would never say that men don't care about those issues equally as passionately as women do. But I think our voice is a little different. I think our perspective on life is a little different. I think our working style is a little different. Different. I'm a very collegial kind of person. I want, to, I want to find the middle way. I want to find consensus. And, and I know men who want to do that too. But I think just hearing from all voices and all sides, we all bring different things to the table. We all have different talents, skills, abilities. And when, when there's only one woman, um, there are a lot of voices that are being silenced. And I try to think too, can you imagine if the Senate was um, was 29 people under the age of, tw of 30 and one person over the age of 30? Or 29 people in, in the legal profession and one person in a different profession? I mean, it's about diversity and it's about diverse viewpoints. And, you know, I always think it's fascinating. One thing I love about the legislature as opposed to U.S. Congress is we have to, we're expected to sit on that floor and listen to the debate. And I love that. I love listening to all the diverse viewpoints from different um, geographic areas, from different professions, from all different walks of life. And women's voices are just an important part of that. And, and I would also echo what, um, what Bernadine was saying in that we just have different thought patterns, you know, and, and it's all contributive and it's all important. 
I would just say that it really doesn't matter whether we're talking legislatures or a profession or whatever. Diversity brings a lot of different voices and enriches the debate. And, and in the case of the legislature, that can be gender, that can be occupation, that can be party, that can be whatever life experience it is. The more diversity, the more rich the debate. I agree with that. It, uh, <laughs> uh, I do think uh, uh, the social issues, and I mean like... Uh, I'm thinking health particularly, get a little more attention the more women involved. They seem to be more, more passionate about certain subjects than men. And there are women who are passionate about game and fish as far as that's concerned, so, or revenue and uh, minerals and so forth. But I do think just the basic uh, health, safety, and so forth, they get, they get more attention. And I will say that I've been I've been thinking about diversity a lot this past week in the legislature because um, there is a bill to change the party affiliation diversity on uh, many boards and commissions because it's hard to get um, enough of the non-majority party to fill all those slots. And so their solution was, uh, and, and there are many requirements for these, and instead of changing the appointment districts or anything like that, their first thought was, well, let's make it easier. Let's reduce the diversity requirement. And as a league person, um, I stood up and said, no. I mean, and then I had to say, well, why is diversity important? And, and it really is for what a lot of the people have said now is that it brings different voices to the table. I think, you know, you belong to a particular party, whether independent, Republican, Democrat, whoever, for a reason, because you have a different viewpoint, a different political philosophy, and it enriches the debate. And I think it makes it um, the outcome of the decision just better, more informed, you challenge people, make them think outside of their comfort zones. And it, it, diversity is kind of its own reward in a way. And, um, and so I think the missing voices, uh, like Senator Kraft said, is exactly right. And I will say that you know, you can be an elderly white man and still and be able to articulate the viewpoint of we need more child care or whatever. But I think when you stand up and debate, and the people hear it from the mouth of the person who, who had the experience, it is so much more different. And people, I've seen that over and over and over, someone will, you know, without getting too personal, will, will relate from their own personal experience or from their own family, whatever, and it has a huge impact. And um, there's authenticity to the voices that really makes a difference. And so um, I think, you know, well, there's all kinds of diversity that's lacking in our legislature for all kinds of reasons. I think uh, getting more women is just, it's like the low-hanging fruit, and we just have to go out and get there. And I think that um, the men appreciate the voices of women. They, I have never seen them be dismissive because of it. Uh, so, I, you know, and basically, I just think diversity is, is good because it's diverse. <laughs> For my last question, this is one I'd also love to hear from each of you. Is this something that can be changed and tackled right now? Or is this an issue that's generational, that's going to take time to address and to change? Um, let's do the same thing, Bernadine okay. first. And, and it may take some time. It may. Change, change does come slowly. I had an interesting little statistic here that said that if we were going to um, increase the uh, number of women in uh, the legislature at the rate we're currently going, it'll take us 300 years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, but I do think, I think it's an attitudinal change. I think it's a, it's a value shift and, and it may not be 
in our generation. I'm hoping it will be. I am hoping that the more we go out with that excitement and that passion and the more we expand our horizons to look for those young women out there, because there are many and there are some brilliant young women, uh, the more we do that, I think it can happen sooner rather than later. But we have to be willing to commit to that. And uh, I'm one of the worst offenders. I, I, I tend to get so focused on my own issues and my own juggling my three full-time jobs that, uh, that I forget. And I'm, and I'm remembering more and more and more to, to really identify those women and then do my very best to encourage them and mentor them in this process. And, and then maybe we might reap some of that low-hanging fruit that Marguerite discussed. Well, and Bernadine should have ended um, this because that was such an optimistic note, and I'm going um, <laughs> well, to <laughs> yeah. um, So, I mean, first of all, you've got the obstacle of how many incumbents there are. So naturally, it's more difficult to overturn the incumbents, so it's going to be, I think, a long haul. Additionally, I think we have to look at the fact that our numbers are going down. They're not going up, at least in the state legislature. And so why aren't women running for office? And I really think it's, a lot of it has to do with the culture of elections these days, that it's personal, that it's nasty, that it's not um, intellectually based. And so women want to, you know, women will uh, gravitate toward something where they know that their talents are being used, you know, to their fullest extent. And I don't know that campaigning is really using our talents to the fullest extent. So, so I think there there are a number of cultural um, barriers that are that are actually getting, making it more difficult. But um, but to end on a positive note, <laughs> I do think I do think that if we can really work on mentorship and recruitment, that um, that that would be our best hope for increasing our numbers in the future. If if you look at the trends in representation of women in state legislatures, just generally in the United States, it has been a gradual increase from about 5% in 1971 when these data first began uh, to be tracked. So, and it's, you know, there's at no point in this in this time frame do you see, uh, you know, a significant jump. So it really is something that is, you know, evolutionary, and it is gradual. And, uh, you know, there is no one solution, but there are a lot of things, particularly the issues that the senator and the representative raised of getting people in, involved are the key to it. And I would also make a plea that I always make my last lecture in my American government class. Politics doesn't have to be as nasty as it is today. Don't just assume that if someone disagrees with you, they're an evil person. And I think, you know, making those types of things changes, attitudinal changes would help to get more people involved generally in the political process. Well, I would say I'm not, I don't have any answers about uh, uh, attracting more women to run, but I will say those that are elected will find a much more inclusive group of people than uh, it, the legislature was when I first started covering it, because at that time it, uh, they called the hitching post the third house, and because so much legislation was uh, crafted there in the lounge. And the women didn't like to go down there, understandably. And so they were just kind of left out of the picture. And the men had their own lunches and so forth. And it's much better now. And, uh, and they are moving along. In the, I think it was in the 80s, there were two women sort of back to back. They both had like 18 years service. And they were stuck in the speaker pro tem spot. 
And the next one, if they gotten to move up, it would have been floor leader and then House Speaker. Well, there's only been one woman House Speaker, to my knowledge, but uh, next session we should have another one. So that's, uh, that's another barrier. For Senate President April Bremer Kuntz, she broke some ground there. And one thing she told me that uh, sort of echoes the other statements about child care, she said she never would have run for the Senate at all or for the legislature if she had not lived in Cheyenne. She had to be home for her children and so forth. And so it, it is a barrier for women. That's all. I, I would like to say that there, you know, and sort of getting back to the theme of, of helping women uh, find their political voice and ability um, on a low level, close to home, when they can, when they can um, take care of those duties. And then as the children get older, then they're able to um, uh, look higher and, and serve farther away from home. But how we can support that, it just occurs to me that, well, um, if you can be part of a group that has political forums, so the women get kind of a soapbox so that they can get out there and have um, a, a public forum, literally, for, for their ideas. And because sometimes they, you know, you have to have a lot of money otherwise with all the um, media requirements. But also be available, say, I will go door to door for you and, and offer to, to volunteer or I will watch your children while you campaign or while you serve and go on the on the school board. And, and so I think there are a lot of things we can support women while their families are young and, and uh, by the time they're ready to serve for the legislature, um, um, you know, they really had a lot of good experience. So we can support women in a lot of ways and, and it might be so going up to, what do you need, what's standing in your way, let me help you. And, it, uh, and I think it may be, that childcare piece may be a big piece of it, but whatever, say, do you need um, a public forum? I'll get you on the radio. And just helping people find those opportunities to um, have their voices heard and appreciated. We will be taking some audience questions. We have a mic here in the center of the room. If anyone has any questions for our panelists, we'd love to hear from you. Good evening. Stephanie Pyle with the Leadership Wyoming Class of 2016. First of all, thank you all very much for being on this panel. We're so happy to hear about this topic and to delve into it um, at a deeper level. My question for anyone on the panel who would like to answer is, what would you suggest as the top three action items for someone considering a run for office? Okay. <laughs> the, the top three action items. Um, if you're considering a run for office, I think, I think you really do want to build yourself a team. Um, and, and hopefully you, you've already talked to people about that, but it's real important to have a team. Ruth Ann kind of talked about campaigning and it's completely different for a woman. Just an example I'll use as far as having having a good team and, and Marguerite said, you know, have people that will go do things. But we know that the most effective campaign strategy is door to door. And that almost ran me off too, because I was the kind of kid whose mother bought all of her Girl Scout cookies because I was afraid to go knock on people's <laughs> doors and ask them to buy my, my Girl Scout cookies. So asking them to vote for me was truly terrifying. Um, but we know that's what works. Now men will say, yeah, I got a few, a few hours after work, I'll go knock on a few doors. I never once ever, as a woman, ran, walked and knocked on doors alone. Ever. 
I always had at least six people with me. Um, and not, not really a safety thing, I just had one moderately vicious dog one time. But, so it wasn't so much a safety thing as it was just that sense of solidarity and that sense of support. So I think that's a number one issue and maybe Ruth Ann would like to weigh in with number two and then we'll think of number three. <laughs> Well, um, I'll just build on what Bernie said. So she was actually very smart about her door knocking because, you know, the most efficient way to do it, you can only knock on so many doors yourself if you have six of your friends doing it with you, then you can go to the doors where people actually have answered the door or they have questions or they want to meet you. And so that's, um, so women thinking smart. Um, but um, yeah, so yeah, building your team, but what does that require? It requires asking people to be on your team. It requires asking people to vote for you. It requires asking people to write a check for your campaign. And they're all things that are uncomfortable at first. But, but, but once you dive into that, you realize that there are people who want to help. There are people who want to be part of your team. There are people who, you know, you're giving them the opportunity to become involved in something positive. And so if you think of it as an opportunity, it helps to make those asks. One of the things when I have students ask, you know, gee, I want to get started, I want to run for office. Uh, my recommendation is get involved in community activities, you know, volunteer groups and things like that. So people get to know you. Before that you can ask, they need to know who you are. Uh, and so that is a, the kind of the first step I would always recommend is to people who want to get involved. And I think this will be our last question of the night. Uh, I'm Sarah Burlingame from here in Cheyenne, Wyoming, and I wanted to uh, echo the thanks for the panel. It's been super illuminating. I've learned a lot, and I've realized that the, maybe I'm, I haven't been asking the right question today. I've been asking about um, when we elevate women and we look to women for leadership roles, that it seems that sometimes our default is white women who have some financial means. And I'm wondering if maybe there is outreach being done to communities of color, to queer women, to uh, women in the Wind River who are looking to fulfill leadership roles and who we want in, in those seats. And maybe I'm just not aware that they're happening. Um, so my question is, are they happening? Who, who's, who's doing that work and how can we lift it up some more? Uh, women have to support women, and I, I would hope that um, we all keep our eyes open and don't um, just limit the potential to see leadership potential in everyone. And I think we all, all have to be on our toes and uh, and uh, help women's girls see their own potential and uh, maybe you know really look for it in unlikely places like uh, Title One schools or you know where you, anyway. I, I think it responsibility falls on all of us. And I will say that um, my particular political party has kind of made that an emphasis, is offering trainings and candidate recruitment that, that focuses on diversity, all diversity. Um, women in big capital letters, because there aren't many of us, but also young people, uh, people who are, who are younger and, and people of color. Wyoming is, is a very uh, homogenous state in many respects, but there are, there, there is a great deal of uh, diversity in many communities. Mine is one, and, uh, and I'm, I'm always looking for uh, exciting, bright people, male, female, young, old, 
pink, white, or purple, um, if, they, if they've got the, uh, the skill set to, to seek an elected office, I think that's wonderful. But, but I, I do think if we, if we look to empowering all women uh, across the spectrum, and the, we know they're out there, and I'm hoping we'll extend those um, big welcoming come and join us signs. That does it for the Women in the Wyoming Legislature Forum. Special thanks to our partners Leap into Leadership and Leadership Wyoming Class of 2016. Thank you again to our panelists and thank you to our audience and for those watching online for being so attentive. For Wyoming Public Media, I'm Caroline Ballard. Have a great night, everybody. This has been a special edition of Open Spaces. This panel was recorded live earlier this year at the Little America Hotel in Cheyenne. If you missed any part of the program, it's all available on our website at wyomingpublicmedia.org. Open Spaces is a production of Wyoming Public Radio News. <laughs>